We are halfway through the NBA season. So we have a reason to bring on somebody to talk. It's downtown sports in the mouth of the South. John Shavoni. that is the beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. This is downtown sports. This is where sports come home. I want to dive right into it because I believe you heard not just one, but two report cards this week. But we need to get a report card in a sense of what's going on the rest of the league. We got to grade the rest of the league. So in order to do that, me and Beast need to bring in our Yahoo Sports NBA insider, Mr. Keith Smith to Downtown Sports. And he's going to help us kind of get a sense of uh, what are the letter grades of some of the other teams around the league who are the best, who are the worst. We're going to go through all of this NBA stuff, Keith. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem, Beast. I mean, just this NBA season's been crazy. And the first thing that's really going to jump out to everybody when they look at standings is the Utah Jazz. Keith, before I even ask Beast to get into his first question or anything like that, I just want to know from you, how shocking is it that the Utah Jazz are where they are at this point in the season? Um, moderately so. I am not overly surprised. I thought that they'd be a pretty good team. Um, but the fact that other than a couple lost a couple games in a row going into the break, they had really raced out and built a you know nice little cushion of about three or four games. And that part, I think, is more shocking than anything. They, they're the one team uh, in the league that's been able to create a little separation at the top of their conference. So that part is surprising. The fact that they're good, that's not as surprising. But that they've pulled ahead of the other teams in the West, the Lakers and Clippers especially, and then the Suns who were playing well, that part's a little more surprising. The, the whole Western and Eastern Conference altogether, the, the – competitiveness of the basketball season up to this point has been very impressive in the Western conference in particular. It has not been a runaway. Every single team is locked in couple games behind each other. So you don't really know other than the jazz, you have the Phoenix suns right there in second place. Things could change very, very rapidly in that Western conference in particular. Talk about the Western conference as a whole and what you, what's really jumped out at you for the conference this year. Yeah, that's a great point you made. They, they, it is a super tight conference. And I think the Lakers and Clippers are kind of, kind of playing it the way I thought they might this year. They, they both, they, the Lakers well earned after last year's title run. Clippers not as earned, but I think just more reputation and, and ability of a veteran roster. They're not pushing overly hard to win every possible regular season game. They, they know it's about being healthy and ready come playoff time. But that has allowed teams like Utah, Phoenix to to jump up in the standings. Portland is playing pretty well. Denver started to figure it out recently um, after a very slow start. I think they've won four straight now going into the break. And then you've got Dallas got off to a slow start, but they're eight and two in their last ten. They're starting to play really well as they got Kristaps Porzingis is starting to find his rhythm. Uh, Luca is doing his thing. They went through some COVID stuff, as did so many other teams. And then you've got the Spurs. They've been surprising and been pretty good. Warriors, Grizzlies, they're right there in that play-in mix, and they, that's kind of where we expected them to be. So, yeah, the West is super deep. You could really look at it still. I think it's still the Lakers and then the Clippers. 
I think the Jazz just behind them, Suns just behind them. Um, and then, but it wouldn't surprise me if Denver really made a run here, if Dallas made a run. And I think what's ultimately going to make the difference, as it does so many years, is what do these teams do at the trade deadline? And then who is healthy and what are those matchups come playoff time? Talk about the play of Chris Paul for the Phoenix Suns. A lot of people always look to Chris Paul. Now, maybe not me, I'm sure not you, but some people always look to Chris Paul as the number two act on any big three. Now he's got a chance to be the number one guy. And um, I've been hearing rumblings of this. Tell me how uh, valid this is. Talk of Chris Paul for MVP. Yeah, he's not going to win MVP. He's too far behind too many other guys. And there's still a very much a sense around the league that that's Devin Booker's uh, team. But I think Chris Paul's okay with that. I think he came in with the mindset of, hey, my job now at this point in my career is to lift Booker, DeAndre Ayton, the other young guys on this team to places that they've never been in the NBA. So you've had him do that. Um, there's been all this kind of consternation about, boy, is DeAndre Ayton taking a step back? Why are his numbers down? He looked really good, you know, last season at parts. And I think it's just a matter of he's just not getting as many shots. He's still playing really well. He's, you know, shooting 59% from the floor. He's uh, scoring 14 and a half points per game. He's got, you know, double-digit rebounds up over 11. It's just that there's a lot of mouths to feed on that roster. I think they've got, yeah, seven guys um, averaging uh, 10 or more points per game. It's a good, deep team there in Phoenix. And Chris Paul's, you know, kind of leading the way as the veteran there. And that, that's been great for them because that's, that's what that team needed was that, that guy to come in, kind of show them every day how to win, hold them accountable to what it takes to be a winner and those kind of things. And that's what he's done. Talking with NBA insider Keith Smith. Yahoo Sports. I want to shift over to the Eastern Conference, and you brought up bringing veterans and helping young kids to come along. The Knicks have been one perfect example of a team that really has turned around. 19-18 on the year, yes, but they're fifth in the Eastern Conference. Tom Thibodeau, a lot of people were not sure about how he was going to pan out as a coach for, that, for this team. A lot of pieces people were not sure about, but look at the Knicks right now. Number one in the league in defense. They're right there in the East. They could make a run. I think maybe a piece or two could make them really good. What has been your impression of the New York Knicks through 37 games so far? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. They get after it defensively, and that's the most important thing, and that's the biggest difference between Knicks teams of the past and in the Knicks now. There's not really a stat you could look at and point to that they're not pretty good defensively they um they allow a lot of three-pointers but they don't allow you to shoot them very well um and that has been a hallmark of a tom thibodeau defense uh really since he was an assistant coach back with the boston celtics he teaches closeouts a little bit different occasionally that costs you you foul a guy you might give up the occasional four-point play but but those are just you know you know uh, byproducts of of uh, you know playing really good defense. They don't force a ton of turnovers. They're more about being solid and having their rotations down. And then offensively, they've really put the ball in the hands of Julius Randle and said, "Make it happen for us." And that has really kind of unlocked him. Um, you know, as an overall player, uh, he's shown signs of this in the past, but he's taken it to a new level now as a scorer, ball handler, playmaker uh, for others. R.J. Barrett is much improved and has played much better in his second season. And then their veteran guys that they have around 
the youngsters all fit better this year. They don't have, you know, 15 guys that all play the same position. Um, that's been really important. And then their rookies, Emmanuel Quickly has come in and made an immediate impact as a bench scoring guard. Obi Toppin is, he's figuring it out. It's going to take him a little bit uh, to get there, but that's okay. And then they've got a, you know, a couple other young guys, Mitchell Robinson. He's unfortunately hurt right now, but there he's just doing exactly what's asked of him, play defense, rebound, uh, hang out around the rim. So, yeah, overall, you know, really, really good start for the Knicks uh, this season, and we'll see if they can maintain it throughout the second half. You said the name that was the biggest difference, in my opinion, Julius Randle. I'll give you another, Alfred Payton. And let me make this other point. I think the front office of the Knicks finally has their act together. This is a team that used to send players that were quote-unquote busts away off to other teams, and they would go have nice careers. Channing Fry, Trevor Ariza, just to name a couple of players. Now it seems that the Knicks are taking these quote-unquote busted draft players and taking them onto their team and doing well with them. Guys like Alfred Payton, guys like Julius Randle, that other teams thought weren't good enough to be a part of their their final solution, the Knicks have grabbed on and taken onto their roster. What's been the major change in the front office? I mean, obviously, besides personnel, what's been the major change in attitude in the front office that has led the Knicks to actually pick up on some of these guys that other teams are letting go too early? Yeah, it's part of it is owed to the former front office because they identified Julius Randle and Alfred Payton as guys that they wanted to take a chance on when other teams were kind of a little more out on them. Um, so let's give them a little bit of credit. But then the, the new front office, what they've done quite well is they've stayed patient. Um, they still have $15 million in cap space. So it's not a, a spot where – a normal Knicks team would be. They would have spent that money just to spend it. You know, Alec Burks gets $6 million. Instead of getting $6 million, they would have given him ten. Um, Alfred Payton resigned for $4.7 million. Instead of that, they would have given him, you know, $8 million and those kind of things. They would have overpaid and overpaid and, and done silly things. Or by now, they would have made some some trade where it was, you know, hey, geez, we're 500 we have a chance to be a playoff team let's go you know go get a you know guy who's got a questionable contract that runs for three or four seasons and that's what they have not done they they've stayed very patient um they they are kind of holding everything pretty tight there's not much getting out of there uh the new front office has really kind of tightened up things on that that side too so you're you're you know they're active in trade talks just because you they're with $15 million, you're going to be. We already saw them add Derrick Rose. I expect to see them add another player or two uh, before the end of – or before the trade deadline um, it, so that they can really fortify this playoff run. But that – but I expect it to be short-term, low-cost guys that they're really not having to lock into because that doesn't seem to fit the MO of this front office. I think they're going to do what they can to keep that powder dry until they really have a chance to go land a superstar. And then by that point, you can really start to sell – Hey, look, we're you know just above five hundred. We're the fourth, fifth seed. Uh, you know, may, maybe you come here and bring you know this other player along, and now we really lift um, you know into being a contender. That's they're finally on a path where that's a reasonable sell versus a pipe dream. Talking with NBA insider Keith Smith for Yahoo Sports, uh, wanting to bring up the trades. I think that's very important. Uh, two weeks away, we are from the trade deadline. Now, I know the Knicks need a, a couple of pieces. Uh, they've been looking around, possibly a point guard, maybe a center could 
could be something the Knicks need to go after. Uh, what are you hearing from the trade dead, from trade rumors? Maybe what the Knicks might be uh, looking for, maybe looking to shop around to, to get on their team. Uh, anything you're hearing from the Knicks as far as trades? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, you know, monitoring the availability of big men. They, they would like to bring in another big, ideally uh, more of a five than a four. They feel pretty good at the four with Robinson and Toppin. Um, they, they, it's just a little bit of an unknown when Mitchell Robinson will be back. Uh, then behind him, you've got Nerlens Noel. He's starting now. Taj Gibson's there is kind of the, the Tibbs binky um, of, you know, if you will. And he's had him, uh, you know, everywhere uh, with him. So he, he's there as well. So they're looking at that and then wing um, depth. They, they're looking at another wing shooter. Uh, their only kind of knockdown shooter on the roster is Reggie Bullock. And they're looking to see if they can add somebody else there. Uh, they've been linked to JJ Redick. We'll see if that happens. I don't know that that's going to be the way it goes. It would make make a lot of sense for them, uh, and also bring him back where he has now made his home is in New York. So that that would be something as well. So that that's what you're going to see is that them be active. Um, and I just think it's going to be again like like with Redick. It's a one-year expiring deal. I don't think they're going to take on uh, significant money that goes out into the future unless somehow a real superstar guy shakes free, and that doesn't seem to be the case at the trade deadline. Keith, uh, let's go to the other New York team, the Brooklyn Nets. And, I mean, this team looks – and the, the team and the front office both look like they were, um, you know, blessed this year. Like, stardust rained upon them, and, and they got, like, you know, three, three red sevens. They're winning a million dollars this year. Because what happened with the uh, James Harden deal and with Karis LeVert and the kidney and, you know, we all hope he does well, but the Nets dodged a huge bullet. If they'd have tried to pull the trigger on that Harden deal just two days later, James Harden would still be in Houston complaining right now. Tell me about the Nets this year, their story, and what's really making this team gel? What's different about this big three that allowed them to gel quicker than, you know, other big threes in the past. The uh, perfect example is the big three in Miami. It took them a good three or four months to gel. It only took the Nets a good three or four weeks. Yeah, I think it is important to note that they haven't had all three of them together all that often uh, because of, of whether it be rest days or then Kevin Durant got hurt. Um, but I think why they're fitting together is you do have three guys who are used to having the ball, but Durant is very used to he he played in that warrior system where he had to at times take a step back so his other teammates could shine. Kyrie Irving was started his career, came up, you know, under LeBron James. He was always going to be the second guy, at times the third guy, if they really wanted to make it into a Kevin Love focus game. And then James Harden, his early career was spent uh, playing, you know, the third fiddle to Durant and Westbrook in Oklahoma City. So all of them have that experience. They are also, all three are good and willing passers, um, which really helps. Uh, the, the, the only thing I wonder with the Nets is what – could it possibly look like, and this is where Durampianata's kind of hurt them some, is, what is what's going to happen when there is five minutes left and it's a five-point game? You know, who's going to be the one who gets the ball and makes those plays? And you can run, you know, 99% of NBA actions or two-man actions. 
So that means the third guy is going to be at some points a spectator. It will, what will that look like? It will, what are you going to see uh, there? Because that's going to be really um, interesting and important to see how they figure out those late games. That's what I expect them to see this whole second half of this season being is all right, we're, we're going to really focus on, you know, what do we, what do we need and what is it going to take for us to be successful in the postseason and in close games? Cause that's going to be what really defines success for the Nets. Let's dive into more of the uh, Eastern Conference. Uh, definitely focused on the West. Let's go into the East. And again, just like the West, it's, it's a very close race in the Eastern Conference as well. But I've always been curious about this because it's been a number of years now with the Eastern Conference. It seems like other teams just don't have as good a record from below the first four teams or so in the East. I've always wondered what has been the reason for that. Why has the Eastern Conference always kind of been this – below tier conference for the last number of years. Yeah, I think there's a couple things you can look at. There is um, what happens in the Western Conference. Um, and, and I promise I'll answer your East part, but I got to talk about this part with the West first because it's part sure. of the answer. When there's only one or two um, teams in the Western Conference that gets kind of pushed down in the standings, what ends up happening there is the team that wins in a North normal season might win, you know, 43 games and miss the playoffs because the West is so deep. That team then gets pushed into the lottery. They get a good player. And so those teams in the West that are average to good teams that get pushed down in the standings continue to get good players. Where the teams in the East that get pushed down, um, they, they never really start from the point of being an average to good team. There's also been a lot more um, changeover and really poorly run teams in the East. There's no other way to put it than that. They, you've seen uh, front offices and coaching staffs change over in the Eastern Conference quite a bit more than you have in the West. So those teams never get that kind of built up and come. Like we just spent a lot of time talking about the Knicks. You know, for years, the Knicks were so poorly run. So it was kind of like, all right, well, we're running this back again with the Knicks. And and then what that leads to is that's why you end up with, you know, anywhere from one to five pretty good teams in the East to, you know, then four or five okay teams and everybody else is really a bad team. And what, what that happens is those four or five okay teams are never really as good as their Western conference counterparts because they're starting from a much lower starting point. Definitely talking with Keith Smith, NBA insider for Yahoo sports. What I want to do is I want to get into where these teams are going in the second half. And ultimately who do we think is going to be on top? Let's just uh, take a look here. You know, the teams that I think are going to continue to have big second halves are, of course, the Utah Jazz. I honestly think that they, at least in the regular season, look like the best team in the league at the moment. I also think the Lakers will come back around with Le when LeBron and AD are healthy and together again. Who else do you see having a really big second half to the year? Yeah, you, you hit a couple couple good ones there. I think Denver is um... – you know, they're going to get healthier 
too, which is going to be huge for them. So I think they are going to really put together a big second half. I think Dallas has the opportunity to do that. And then keep an eye on Portland. Uh, they're 21 and 14 right now, but they don't have Nurkic. They don't have McCollum. They have really battled and come through quite well. Uh, this rough spot without those guys, those guys will come back and they will almost function as their trade deadline additions. Uh, so I think Portland's going to have a good, good uh, run here in the second half as well. The, the Lakers, the only thing that holds me back on them is I don't think they're going to push overly hard to win a ton of games. I think they know, hey, we can win this from wherever it is. So we saw them sit LeBron right before the All-Star break. Uh, they're not rushing Anthony Davis back. I, I think LeBron will get spotted some rest days because, again, for them, it's it's not about seeding and you know, winning as many games as possible. It's only about you know, what, positioning and being healthy for the playoffs. In the East, I think uh, Brooklyn is probably going to you know do pretty well here. I think Milwaukee um, is is has really figured some stuff out and is starting to play better. I think Boston has a good run in them. I think they're they're going to get Marcus Smart back, which is going to really help them. And I think they've got a big trade to make at some point. And then I think Miami will really pick things up. Um, they, they've, you know, been that 500 team for most of the year and kind of, you know, uh, you know, been under that for a lot of the season too. So uh, I think they're going to pick it up. And then a team that's a little lower down in the standings. I, I think the Indiana Pacers have a chance to really make a run if they can get healthy. It sounds like Karis LeVert is going to return sometime later in this month, uh, which is great news considering, you know, the, the health scare that he had. And then if they get TJ Warren back, that's a pretty good deep team that I think can really do some good stuff. If we had to, I know it's kind of early to be diving into this prediction right now, but last year in the finals, we saw the Miami heat, a young team, Eric Spolster doing a great job, got them to the finals last year. Do you see maybe a surprise team out of the East or the West that's going to make it? this year to the NBA finals? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it, it's a little harder uh, this year. I think Miami was uniquely built for the bubble uh, where they really embraced what that was and what that grind was and, and what, what it meant to be there and all that. And that, that puts them in a little bit of a different spot. I think, if we were going to go just by where they sit in the standings today, I think Denver is the team I would really look at making a run in the West. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they made it to the West Finals. If all broke right, maybe they could crack through and get to the NBA Finals. I just think that they they are a really good team that underachieved uh, early in the season is really starting to play better. And then Boston in the East, I think, is a team that can make a pretty good run because I think they have um, really good talent. Again, I think they have a trade in them um, that can you know, really kind of fill out their rotation. And, and I think they're, again, another team underachieved early on, but now they're figuring stuff out and they're starting to play pretty well. Keith, just want to get one more question. If you were to grade the East and Western Conference what teams would you give an A to right now? Let's say there was you had one team per conference that you could give an A grade to. What would those two teams be? Uh, I would go with the Jazz in the West. I, I think you know that that that's an easy one, right? They they've played so well. They've been the best team in the league in the first half of the season. So I would give the Jazz in the West, and then in the East, it's hard to pick anybody but the Knicks because. 
compared to what preseason expectations were for that team, any I think anybody other than you know the most uh, rabid Knicks fans, um, you know, did I, I know every year they tell me they're going to be a playoff team. You know, that's including the years. I'm a were. Knicks fan, and every year, <laughs> even if they were going to make the playoffs, I would tell you they weren't because that's yeah. been my experience. They, they have they, a very they, rough second half. They have a tough second half schedule to they deal do. with. This one. Yeah, and I'll say Knicks fans live in one of two worlds, right? It's either they're hyper realistic and this team stinks no matter what, or they're hyper unrealistic and this team is going to be great. You know, even you know the years where they're led by you know guys like the three of us on the roster. You know, they they, <laughs> they you know are super excited about that. Hey, team, I but, got a good three point <laughs> shot. I could have made it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, but you know what? What I'll say though is they have overachieved so much to their preseason expectations um, and are really playing well. They have themselves positioned for the first time in years to potentially be a playoff team. Um, and then that's a lot of fun. You know, I always say the NBA is at its best when it's, you know, marquee franchises are good and interesting. So it's good to see the Knicks getting back in that mix. We'll definitely see where they will stand come the second half of the year. The NBA season officially resumes March 10th first games will be march 10th to start the second half of the year trade deadline march 25th should be a very interesting run to the nba finals keith smith insider for yahoo sports for the nba thank you so much for taking some time to join us and best of luck for the second half of the year thank you guys i appreciate it you both stay safe you and yours thank you we will be back we'll be back after this with an nba top and we're back to downtown sports i'm the beast of the east jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host the mouth of the south john Shivoni. we want to thank keith smith our nba insider for yahoo sports for joining us for the first half of our show as we dove through the first half of the nba season and I could think of no better way, as we are now on the eve of that second half of the year, which will start tonight, we're going to get to a special NBA top 10, thanks to our statistician, Chris Large. Before we dive into our top 10, Mouth, where can our listeners hear us? Hmm, wait a minute, I'm not sure. Do I remember this? Oh yeah, Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Bullhorn, Pod Bay, Listen Notes, 12. That's right, 12 different platforms. More probably coming because uh, we're finding out that uh, other platforms are, since our RSS feed is public, other platforms are taking it and putting it up. So we're, we're, we're appearing all over the internet. We don't even know where we are. We're the center of attention, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are, but 12 that we know of. We are downtown sports and we are where sports come home. And let's come home with our good old NBA top 10. A lot of things have changed over the past, uh, ah, man, over the past number of weeks, the top 10s have been up, down, left, right. And like I said, because I know I'm going to hear it. I know I hear it all the time. We do these NBA top 10s. Mouth, beast, why are these guys so low on the list? Aren't they second in the East or aren't they third in the East or first in the West? Why are they sixth or seventh? Here's why. Because the NBA changes and it, 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 it's not like 
it's not like the NFL where there's one game. We could see all the teams. We could rate them. Everything changes one week. A team could be flying high. The next, the next, you know what happens? They'll go on a five game losing streak because they lost their star. They might be still first in the West or something, but then they're losing, you know, five games in a row. <coughs> Sorry. I just had a cough there. <coughs> um, yeah. All sports are momentum. You could go on a good stretch. Then you go on a cold stretch. Then you heat up again. That's the equilibrium, if you will, of the world of sports. And that's why the top tens change. That's why a team, that's why Keith Smith could give the Knicks a grade of an A, saying that's the one team he would give an A grade to in the East is the New York Knicks. He went higher than you. My goodness. He went higher than you. Oh, after today, you'll hear my report card for the Nets because I wanted to have all the positivity come forward. Because let me tell you something. Definitely. My report card's not going to be as positive as the Knicks one. I'm Ooh, sorry. I'm looking, I'm looking I mean, forward to hearing this. I'm looking it, forward to it. It's not going to be positive. Well, before we get into that, let's dive in. Let's begin our top 10. And we're going to start with the number 10 team on our list. And it is the Miami Heat. 18 and 18 on the year. They're down one slot because they're down one slot in the playoff rankings. I believe they are sixth in the East, right? They are six in the East. Correct. They did get back Jimmy Butler and that's big. He was out for 10 games. Jimmy Butler yeah. is back in the lineup and very quietly 12 and six. Now they have gone and here they are with the third best defense in the NBA. They got through two very good teams to get themselves back. Beating the Lakers and beating the jazz is not a picnic. But for this team with Eric Spolster at the helm and the experience you saw from this Heat team in last year's final, Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olynyk, Tyler Hero, Adebayo, and of course, Jimmy Butler. This Heat team is very, very battle tested. If Jimmy Butler gets back to the NBA finals, can we finally put him on that echelon of stars instead of calling him the throwaway guy that always gets signed at the end of free agency, like the last star to get picked. Can we stop referring to Jimmy Butler as that and just start giving the guy the credit he deserves? The great players, in my opinion, feed off being underrated. When you feed off of being overrated, you're going to be overrated. If you, if you stay with hmm, the underrated, I'll give you a perfect example. The, I'll give you a perfect example. The dark Knight. Remember that guy? Yep. He bought into the name and then he just kept uh, thinking he was a dark knight and invincible. And uh, he became a dark knight invisible, except when the balls kept flying out of the ballpark and it he became not. like the, uh, he became like he, the average. Yeah. But that's the difference. He that's the difference. Like the average jobber. He became like the, uh, the average jobber in wrestling. He went from a big name and then he got buried. Well, speaking of an average jobber, the Miami heat are about to have a very big loss because we don't know how much this person's going to be fined. I don't know why players are saying Jewish slurs to people while playing Call of Duty. Let me just say this. Whether you are whatever skin color, whatever religion, whatever, that doesn't matter. You don't, if you're going to insult somebody, if you want to call somebody a call them a You don't have to call them that. Ugh. Jesus, please stop it. Well, I can tell you that we'll end the point on this, huh? Julian Edelman reached out to Myers Leonard. Julian Edelman, Patriot wide receiver. And he's uh, he's offering an invitation for him and to join for a Sabbath dinner. 
in Miami, Florida. Hopefully that'll be a way to kind of uh, clear the air. And he believes that Myers Leonard's comments were not as he said them. Like they did weren't. You hear, like, did you hear it? Like, did you hear how it went down? I don't know if you're an online gamer. I do that every once in a while. Very rare. <clears throat> you start gaming online, whatever. You got these people that just start saying all manner of insults and they don't care because you're literally playing Call of Duty. You're getting like the rush of shooting your enemy and you're blowing stuff up. And, you know, you say dumb crap. That's not an excuse. You shouldn't say that. But that's something that unfortunately is done and happens and people say slurs. But if you're a professional athlete, and I don't think he really believes that, like that word. And I don't believe he's, I mean, when you use that word, you're a bigot, that's it. Um, but hopefully he'll learn better from now on. But this is not the first time athletes have said terrible things on the internet while playing video games. This isn't the first incident we've heard of with this. People and in pro sports really got to understand the internet and social media is real. If you say something, it's online and you send it to the world. If you're playing a video game, if you're on a Facebook chat, if you're sending a picture, you know, it's going to get out there and everybody's going to know about it. So please just, if you're famous, govern your actions accordingly. Right. All right. Well, we'll see what happens now. Let's move on to the uh, next team of our top 10, the number nine team. And wow. Good to see them again in this spot for the second top 10 in a row. The New York Knicks are number oh, wow. nine on the top ten. I'm what? I'm I'm still waiting for this. This I'm waiting for Dolan to do something to blow it up. I'm just waiting, but you know, for right now, I'm gonna enjoy it. I mean, the Knicks are nineteen and eighteen on the year. They're fifth in the East, and they're playing well. This is what you want to see this team do. You want to see the Knicks finally be relevant again. Nilakina is finally developing. I mean, everybody wanted to throw him away when we drafted him. He was like, what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, How well, old is he now, 24, 25? He's a young yeah. He's still very young. He got drafted, uh, what, roughly about about the same year or two as Porzingis. That's around the time. Yeah. He got, 2017, he got drafted. 2017. Yeah, he got drafted Wait, in 2017. He's 22 he like, years old. He's 22. Yeah, and he was like a throwaway pick that we – that we grabbed and we, we got him and we knew he was a developmental player, but he was good enough to be on the main roster because it you know, was the Knicks, but everybody wanted to throw Nilakina to the wolves, trade him away, trade him away. Why do we still have this guy on our roster? Now you're starting to figure it out once you get players and coaching and you know, he actually grows up a little bit. He's 22. Just like, oh, they wanted to throw Alfred Payton away. They, 27, they throw Julius Randle away. He's 26. When those players were getting thrown away a couple of years ago, they were both 25 and 24, respectively. Isn't it how the, funny that the Knicks took some of these cast-offs and turned them into good stars compared to when they were throwing them away several years ago under the previous ownership? You see, here's what's happening. The Knicks are making good decisions and the Mets have new ownership. I think those are two of the four signs of the apocalypse. I'm just waiting for Mets to win the World Series and the Knicks to win an NBA title. Then I know the world is ending. I think that's like the sports conspiracy theory for the end of the world. Then the Jets will win the Super Bowl and then it's all going to go. Hey, who knows, right? Anything could happen. Yeah, but, but the Knicks are playing really well. Julius Randle's the man. And until anything's proven wrong, that Derek Rose trade is a win. Next. Next test will be the second half of the year for sure. Let's go to number eight on our top 10. And it's the Milwaukee Bucks. 
wow, have they fallen down to the eight spot, 22 and 14. They're third in the East end. Well, Chris called them the most perfect name, the Jekyll and Hyde team in the East. He called them a Jekyll and Hyde team. And he's he, not wrong when he says it. Keith disagrees though. He, he would be very upset at this ranking. If he heard it, you never know what you're getting out of this team. Couple, couple games. They look great. They blow people away. And then they come right back down to earth against the subpar team or, then Giannis decides not to show up in a game or their offense decides not to show up in a game. And Wait a minute. Giannis is not showing up in, against sub. Who does he think he is? Tim Duncan. <laughs> the problem is when you have Giannis as your only reliable scorer, and everybody else is uh, like uh, basically standing around and being a supporting actor instead of the a supporting cast. But, but, but why would Keith Smith think the Bucks are going to go on a run in the second half? What's got him believing that? Because look, he's our NBA insider. If he says something, I, I, I stick to it. It's like Fair. the Bible. If they get a piece or two at the deadline that can benefit with Giannis, then he's on to something. Absolutely right. But until I see this Bucks team, surrounding Giannis with someone that could be a secondary good scorer alongside him because I don't think Middleton's quite it. I don't think Holiday's it. Until I see somebody with Giannis that's convincing me, okay, this guy, I can rely on this guy to score if, if Giannis has a bad game. We can go throw the ball to him. And who are the maybe, Bucks? Maybe. You know, I thought about it like this for a second. Giannis had the opportunity to go anywhere he want. Mr. Antetokounmpo could have gone anywhere in the NBA. He had offers from the Warriors, anywhere. He chose to stay a buck. And he chose to have the team that he has around him. Do you think that might be by design the way the team is? Do you think they're, do you think they're catering to him in no. that way? Maybe he wants it this way. Yeah, you may want it that way, but at the end of the day, does it benefit everybody else around? Well, think about it this way. When were those when was the last time the Milwaukee Bucks were relevant? Going back to when they've been on this at least relevant playoff streak that they've been on for the last number of years, they were basically, you know, what? A below the a below the bottom team. Nobody really Before you know, really... now, like as a fan of the NBA, have either did you care about the Bucs? They were just a team in, the, in Wisconsin that is second fiddle to Green Bay. And that is why they will bow to that man and do whatever he wants. Even the Brewers were more recognized than the Bucks. Yep. Number Thanks. seven on our number seven on our top ten. The Philadelphia 76ers have now moved to number seven on the top ten. They're still first, but barely in the Eastern Conference. Now they went into the all-star game. Minus their two all-stars in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, both of whom were in COVID protocols, which is uh, definitely a little worry. Now, you don't want COVID to start creeping up in Philadelphia right now. Nope. You lose Embiid or Simmons for any bit of time, and the Sixers are in trouble. To me, the Sixers are a team that's made the playoffs now for a few years in a row. It almost doesn't matter where they finish. I think to me, it's more important for the Brooklyn Nets to be the number one seed at this point because the pressure is all on them. But the Sixers, the pressure doesn't shift to them until it's playoff time because now Doc Rivers is your coach. Yep. There's no more Brown excuse. So Brown screwed it up. Brown's the reason Embiid missed the shot. Brown's the reason this happened. Brown's the reason that happened. None of that's going on. 
So to me, it doesn't matter where the 76ers fall on this list. When it comes playoff time, that's where I need to see where they are in this top 10 to see where they're going to be in the playoffs. Well, they're going to have a few games with the Knicks coming up to start the second half of the year. So that will be very interesting. By the by, if the Knicks win a few of those games, they start to challenge for that division. They could. They could, but we'll see. Number six on our top 10, the Los Angeles Clippers. Wow, have they fallen down from, at one point, they were in the upper five of our top 10, and now they're in the bottom five. You know why? Because, and I love Chris, but sometimes I really feel he puts flash above substance. Um, The Clippers, while not being on the best of runs right about now, truthfully, they are also a team like the Sixers where I don't care where they land. They have Tyron Lue as their coach. That's obviously, you know, beginning of the season worked out perfectly. Now Paul George is starting to fall back a little bit. But players go on runs. Paul George is a streaky player. You live and you die by the sword. So, Well, they entered the, the second half losing three in a row. They entered the second half on a three-game losing skid. They're ranked 26th in defense, which is not good. Yes, they're one of the top. They are top in the league at three-point percentage, and they're one of the best in free-throw percentage, yes. But now you're going to have some very important games to start the second half of the year in the Western Conference. You have the Mavericks coming up for a couple of big games. You're going to face Zion. You're going to face Stephen Curry right off the bat to start the second half of the year. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Dallas is a team in the come-up as well. They are a team that's on the move. That's going to make them dangerous. And if Porzingis is anything like he's been, he's improving every single year. Every year he looks better and better. Going to the Mavericks didn't stun his growth in any way at all. Porzingis is on track to become the next Dirk Nowitzki. So basically, here come Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks every single year. They'll end up getting in the playoffs as a seventh seed or something. And then they'll go on a run and get to the finals. That's just been the Mavericks MO forever. Number five on the top 10, the Denver Nuggets, sixth in the West. They're 4-0 on a four-game winning streak going into the break. And slowly but surely, uh, the Nuggets, and Keith Smith said this very well, this is a team to look out for in the second half. This is a team that could get on a run. You live and die by the three. Denver, Denver's core is the one core that hasn't really changed much over the years, along with the Jazz. Those are the two teams in the West – that have really stood pat with their guys. So what you're seeing is cohesion out of Denver. The thing is, they live and die by the three-point shot. If they fall, they're going to beat you because they know where to, They know their spots. They know where to get to. They play decent defense. Denver has always been decent defensively, that group of guys. And you know what? They play transition basketball very, very well. They were the poor man's warriors when it was Golden State and Durant and – Curry winning the championships, but Denver was always right there. And last year, Denver showed you what they could do against the Clipper team. Let's, let's see if Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic can get this Nuggets team rolling in the second half. We're going to definitely pay attention to that. Number four on the top 10, the Los Angeles Lakers. Third in the West, 24 and 13. And you know what? The all-star break came at a very good time for them. They have lost six of their last eight games. They're ranked 26th in offense. Without Anthony Davis, it's clear how vulnerable these Lakers have been over the past number of weeks. I've said it when LeBron became a Laker to people. I've said it on the show. As LeBron falls, AD rises. That's been the plan of the Lakers this whole time. So 
AD is the main piece that wins you titles right now. That's like saying Shaq was the reason that Miami won when Dwayne Wade was a rookie, right? Like Shaq was at the end of his career. Oh yeah, it was all Shaq that won the title. Just like, yeah, it was all LeBron James that won that title for the Lakers. Mm. If AD is not there, everybody keys in on LeBron because who else is there on that team to score the basketball? Dennis Schroeder. Kyle Kuzma. Well, decent those players, are, but they're not. Those don't sound like good options to me. Caldwell Pope. No, not too many names there. I mean, maybe the Lakers make a deal at the deadline. They've been known to do that. We'll see. Let's move to number three on the top 10. It's the Phoenix Suns, 24 and 11. Can you believe the Phoenix Suns are now second in the Western conference i disagree with keith smith i feel chris paul is the number one guy on that team right now he is the veteran that is the leader of that squad he's making everybody around them better yes booker is the flashy scorer the shining star he is the future of that team he is the present of it too but chris paul's unlocked him it's incredible how this Suns team have come together chris paul adding him there has opened up the door for booker for Bridges, for DeAndre Ayton, for Jordan. This entire Suns team is playing with such cohesion now. They're one of only two teams that are in the top 10 in defense and offense efficiency. If you want to take a wild guess who the other team is, we'll get to them shortly. Oh, yeah. The Suns have only trailed 11 times this whole year by double digits. You believe that? You see what happens when you teach defense? Because let me tell you something. Defense doesn't take talent. Defense doesn't take superstar ability. It takes a head between your shoulders and the ability to listen and go going to your spots where you, when you need to be there. And on top of that, the Suns are 14-2 and two in the league in games decided within five points. Because they will lock you down at the end of the game. They're going to take your best scorer and remove him from the equation. That's it. Defense takes effort. Look at the teams that are number one in defense. The Knicks, the Jazz, the Suns. What's what's the key thread there? They're all young and they're all hungry. If you're young and hungry and you got a mind to teach you how to play defense, you'll be a good basketball team much quicker than you won't be. Suns have gone 16 and three since January 18th. That's how scary this Suns team is and how real now we got to start taking the Phoenix Suns. The Jazz Suns series that's going to happen in the Western Conference semifinals is going to be get to amazing. That matchup, yeah, it's going to be some game. That's going to be fun. Number two on our top 10, it's the Brooklyn Nets. 24 and 13, they're second in the East. Their defense is kind of right in the middle, 16th in the in the league, obviously because they had those bad stretches where they much were better play. than it's been though. Harden's gotten better on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. The Nets have won 10 of their last 11. I mean, Keith, I said it to Keith. I'll say it again. I'll say it on my Nets report card. This is the fastest we've seen a big three gel. This was faster than Bosch, Wade, and James. And they had played together on Team USA. So, I mean, I think these guys did too at one point. Didn't they play together at some national U.S. team thing? Well, now the Nets got even 
now Brooklyn got even stronger, adding Blake Griffin into this whole mix. And I'll be very curious to see where Blake Griffin's going to fit into this offense. Where, where do we see him playing? I see him as the garbage guy. He's got to be the garbage guy, like how Oakley was in the 90s Knicks. He's got to be the guy that's going up and getting the rebounds, that's playing the defense. <clears throat> that's what Blake Griffin's got to do because he's good on that side of the ball. They don't need any more scoring. I mean, when DeAndre Jordan's off the floor, they need somebody down low to handle the ball. But you said and you had a grade to rants off. You said you had a grade for Brooklyn, and you said it was not what uh, people think it should be. No. Well, I'll tell you what it is now. I'm one of those students. It's not an A, though. It's not an A. The Nets were a bad kid. Oh well, as I, I mean, they're doing really good now, but you know, off season, beginning of the year, you know. Front office, I still see you. I still see what you guys did and how you guys barely avoided disaster. Well, we'll get our grade about this team very soon. I cannot wait to hear what it's going to be. But let's go to number one on our top ten, and it should be a shock to know. And I mentioned the Suns a minute ago. Only one other team has a better record than they do in close games, and only one other team is both offensive and defensively good. If you haven't figured it out, it's the Utah Jazz. Number one in the top ten. No surprise, 27 and nine. And it's scary how well this Utah team has continued to play. And now to make things even easier for them, the second half of the year, they have the easiest strength of schedule. I mean, they are going to face team. uh, That jazz team, you see, they're almost at the point where I don't care where they finish. However, I do feel it's important for them to be the first seed. I feel it's more important for them than any of the other teams we're talking about, including Phoenix. Here's why. The Jazz don't have the veterans that have been to those big games. Their veterans are growing and learning along with the rest of the team. Remember, this is homegrown. This wasn't a team where they went out and signed free agents and got a super team together. This was literally what the 76ers were billed to be, but really aren't. Mm. A team built solely, purely through the draft and making good decisions, not signing overpriced free agents and trying to bring together a big three and mortgaging draft capital. The Jazz built this over a period of years, while Golden State was dominating, the Jazz were just tinkering and building and tinkering and building and waiting for Golden State to fall for them to come up. Of course, the Lakers and the Clippers got a couple of super teams together. Phoenix was on that rise as well. Got Chris Paul to lead the squad. But you know what? That Jazz team has been doing it for years, and they've been a problem for years. We've been calling ever since 2014. We've been saying, Hmm, you know, this jazz team, they look real good. You know, they could pick a team off. You know, this jazz team, this looks real good. They could pick a team off. Now they're the team to pick off. I'm very curious to see, and very possibly, they could play Golden State in the first round. Very possible. They could see Golden State. They could see... Play Golden State? They're going to dust Golden State. They're going to dust them off like icing sugar on top of a cake. If Golden State gets Clay Thompson back... And I would not sleep on that. Clay Thompson eventually will return. Dusting off like sugar on top of a cake. Here's the reason why. Golden State can't defend as well as Utah can defend. 
Utah has taken Steve Kerr's system, tweaked and modified it, got a lot rougher down low than Kerr does, and advanced it. So guess what? It's kind of like when Paul Westoff got the fast break offenses started and he was considered a genius. But then he got fired. His philosophy remained and evolved, but he didn't. Golden State needs to evolve that philosophy a little bit if they want to stay relevant in today's NBA. Well, we're going to see. But the Jazz are right up there, and they're not to be taken lightly. That's what I'm saying. To to tell me that Golden State has a chance against Utah right now, to me, is just unconscionable. It's a slap in the face. But it's always Richards and Rudy Gobert. It's the playoffs, though, that determine how good you really are. Yes, you can have a great regular season, but if you don't prove it in the playoffs, it's all for naught. Well, let's see Golden State actually get there. Well, because, by the way, j- made sure with our statistician, if you are not sixth or above, you're in that wonderful play-in situation. Yep. That's happening. Well, Ten teams can make it in. Ten teams have the opportunity to make it in. So if you're a Golden State, you have to get you have to win two games probably against somebody because it doesn't look like Golden State's gonna finish in the top eight. You have to win, I think, two consecutive games, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. You have to win two consecutive games in the play-in game. That's right. The play-in series is a three-game series. Only, only if the lower seed wins game one. If the higher seed win games, wins game one, it's over for the lower seed. So Golden State is not going to make it to sixth. So I wouldn't see them making it against making it to a game against the Jazz anyway. They're too inconsistent right now. Yeah, so I'm going to read the rules very quick. This, is, uh, this was the uh, play-in tournament. So how it's going to work for this year. We're going to wrap this wrap the segment up with this. Yeah. So 10 teams in each conference advance to the postseason. Teams that are seeded 7 through 10 play the play-in games to gain admission into the conference playoffs. So these playoffs for, even if you're a 10, even if you're the 10 teams that make it, the seven to 10 is still a playoff game, but it's play-in games to get to the main playoff where it's best of seven and yada, yada going forward. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's going to be. So I'll be very curious. Golden State's in the nine spot right now, unless they get themselves above seven, which could it happen? We don't know. Not the way they're playing. And even Chris will admit that. We will see what happens. The second also, half of the year begins. Also, that's important for the any Knicks fan, too. Right Maybe now, you're five. fifth. You don't want them to drop to seven either. If they make the playoffs this year, even the play-in game, that's better than I ever thought they were going to do. So as a Knicks fan, well, let's see if they can climb the ladder. They will have a, They have some tough games ahead of them, but they can leapfrog some teams like the Celtics and the Pacers and et cetera. When we come back, we got to check on New York because a coach has a pacemaker, a pitcher has bone chips, and another one has got soreness in his elbow after his COVID vaccine shot. And we are all, we're not even barely in spring training yet. We're only about a month away from baseball resuming. It's not looking good. Back after this. And we're back to downtown sports. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. 
you know, we were going to do just a two hitter this week, an all NBA edition. And then the news happens today. And I go, damn, we got to talk baseball. But first, Beast, where can they hear us? We're on 12 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Cashbox, Bullhorn, Podbay, and Listen Notes. <clears throat> 12 different platforms, episodes, rants, DMB specials every single week. So we are downtown sports, and we are where sports come home. And we got to get into spring training baseball. Usually this is a time of hope, a time of, uh, you know, a time of belief, a time of seeing what could be and having hope for the future of your team. Even if you know your team's going to do terribly, you're still happy to see them at spring training. Hmm. And then you start to get news like this, like what happened to Aaron Boone last week. Yeah. Yes, he's back, but he's still not the coach yet. And he's going to be brought back into that role slowly. Slow. Long and the short of it is, he's not going to be managing his team for a good chunk of spring training. Tell him why, Beast. Aaron Boone had a heart condition. That came. He had to have a pacemaker inserted. So that's a scary sign. And Aaron Boone is barely 47 years old. He's not, he's still in his 40s. So to get the pacemaker put in that young. And Aaron Boone, I know, is a you know very healthy guy. He does everything you, you want a coach, a manager to do. But obviously, for wait a minute, like, so Hold on. This is not new. He's had this before. Um, in 2009, Aaron Boone actually went underwent open heart surgery. I think everybody's forgotten about that. I did too. I just took a look like, you know, just to make sure what was the exact uh, medical condition for Aaron Boone. And I find this article. It's from sportscasting.com. And... Yeah, he had open heart surgery in 2009. And I believe, uh, you know, he resumed baseball activities that summer. And yeah, he never, uh, he had to replace a bicuspid aortic valve. Mm. He'd been aware of the condition since he was a child. So three days ago, so he's had, you go ahead, I'm sorry, finish your point. So he's had heart problems from, from when he was a child dealt with them as a player. The heart issues over ended his career. You wondered why, like you ever wondered why Aaron Boone disappeared off the map after 2009. It's because he never really truly recovered from that heart surgery. Yeah. I just found this. I found the piece here. Yeah. So he had a congenital defect. That was the open heart surgery for a congenital defect. He was having, he at one point had a heart rate of 30 to 39 BPM. Which is normal. 30 to adults. 39 beats per minute. Let me tell you, a normal yeah, normal adult's like 80 to 90 beats per minute. If yep. you're exercising or something, 39 beats per minute means basically like your heart's not working. You're literally taking one heartbeat every two seconds. That's not how it's supposed to work. For adults, it's supposed to be 60 to 100. That's normal yep. for adults. So anyway, but Aaron Boone is recovering. 
It's not going to cause him to miss substantial time, which is huge. So Aaron Boone, our prayers go out to you. Please, please, speedy recovery. That's how we're putting this in. And we have another player in the Yankees that now needs. By the way, here was the statement from Aaron Boone about the medical leave of absence. Ready? Said over the last six to eight weeks, I've had mild symptoms of lightheartedness, low energy, and shortness of breath. As a result, I underwent a series of tests and examinations in New York prior to the beginning of spring training, which included making multiple visits with a team of heart specialists. While the heart checkup came back normal, there were indications of low heart rate, which after further consultations with doctors in Tampa necessitated a pacemaker. He's had problems with electrical signals to his heart due to that congenital defect as a child, the bicuspid aortic valve that had to be replaced. So they're literally having to shock his heart to keep it beating. It's not that his heart is unhealthy per se. It's that the electrical signals are not going to his heart and could cause major problems. So at this point in his life, he needs a pacemaker. Well, it's good to see him slowly back and looking forward to seeing him back on the field managing. But we got more problems if you're in Yankee land. Yeah, and it's this news that dropped today. One of the key Yankee cogs in the bullpen. It's going to be out for three to four months. Zach Britton, what started as simple soreness in his elbow Wait, 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 wait. I'm I'm gonna be like a magician. Yeah. Predict this. Please. Cause we talked about this before and you told me about the injury. I said, Oh my god, there's bone chips in there, ain't there? And you're like, No, they never report that. I said, wait, he's out, he's gonna be out, he's still not back yet. There's bone chips. He's feeling that stiffness, it gets like stuck when it that's bone chips. And you're like, no, nah, no, nah, they're going to come back with the reports. We're going to know in a day or two. So let me see. Am I right? Does Britain have bone chips in his elbow? Your answer would be correct. <laughs> Arthroscopic elbow surgery is the term for bone chip in an elbow. And Zach Britton is going to be out for three to four months. Now, I'm just going to tell you guys what bone chips can do. If you have a bone chip swimming around in your elbow, what joint or tendon, if you would, is in that elbow, Beast? Yep. So if you have a chip of bone going around there, slice it. You feel it rubbing. You can like, it's like you feel it chafing. You feel like little... You feel little, you hear like little sounds. When in you my knee, it would have, when I injured my knee, I, I had to have like, you know, surgery to correct that and bone chip removal and everything. My knee had healed up. Everything was fine. But all of a sudden it's like, I felt like my leg was so stiff. I couldn't move. I feel, I felt like I had to push something out of a joint almost. Those were bone chips swinging around my knee. I bet you Britain was going through that same issue. And then when you have to push those bone chips out of the way, if they're moving or swimming, Lord forbid, they could slice the tendon that, you know, Tommy John surgery, you know how that works. Mm-hmm. That's a tendon in your elbow that if it gets partially torn, you need that surgery. If you have a bone chip swing around there, that could slice that. Well, 
I've read a couple. I'm just explaining because everybody wants to say, "Oh, arthroscopic surgery. Why is he arthroscopic?" A lot of people like to complain about athletes and their injuries, so I want to explain in graphic detail why this person is out for as long as they're going to be. Well, I've read simple a couple of small pieces here. What causes bone chips? Well, they're basically chip fractures in your joints, sometimes called osteochondral fragments. Simply put, small damage that can first weaken the bone before causing a fragment to separate, that's a bone chip. Basically arthritis due to overuse. Yeah. In most people. With me, it was because I had a devastating injury that shattered things. That's why I had bone chips. There's other reasons for them. But for him, I guess, since he didn't suffer a hit to his elbow or something like that, it, it's basically a use injury. On top of that, not only was Britain dealing with the bone chip, is now dealing with the bone chip issue, he also had COVID during the year. He also had COVID-19. So a lot of things happened to him in that short amount of time. The COVID-19 hit for him. He ended up losing 18 pounds. Which could cause when you're moving your joints, like, you know, I don't know what that could, what that type of change in body chemistry, especially for an athlete does to joints, does to muscles. Remember these people are like, these people are more finely tuned than the car you got outside in your garage, okay? Also These people are more finely tuned than your vehicle. He also welcomed a baby to the world at the same time. So he welcomed a, a, a child into the world, had COVID-19, said he basically was out for 10 days with the virus. That's The virus literally, literally knocked him out for 10 days. Oh, so he had a moderate case. Yeah. Yeah, one of those, yeah, how you have mild to moderate when those, one of those moderate cases where you, you're sick for two weeks, like straight, and you're losing weight like that. Yeah, he had a moderate case of COVID. That's not good. It basically, yeah, stamina was down. I was out of breath quite a bit. So mm -hmm. this COVID was a serious matter. So that kind of threw everything with him off. The COVID taking away 18 pounds and then having this injury to his elbow. Well, imagine COVID taking away 18 pounds. Now you got to train and put that weight back on. So you're putting, you're lifting more, lift, lift, lift. Gain weight, lift more, eat more, do whatever you got to do to, you know, gain weight muscles. and, you know, get yourself back into playing shape. You're hmm? stressing your muscles beyond sometimes maybe a little too far. And that's where. And then your bones too. I mean, because imagine all that level of training to gain 20 pounds practically back that you lost from a disease over 10 days. That's going to screw up any athlete. The fact that, you know, hopefully he will be back and, you know, all this will be over, but you know, the good is it's the only virus three months. The good is it's only going to be for three months. It's not season ending. We don't know that yet. Well, we truly, until they open up that elbow, we really have no idea what's going on in there. They can x-ray and MRI it all they want until you get the arthroscopic camera in there to really see what's happening. You have no idea what injuries could be occurring. Every day he's walking around with bone chips in his elbow is another day he could end his season could be over. At the end of the day, the Yankees bullpen is going to be shorthanded until at least June. Or if they go sign our boy Henry, you know, he's could available. Be, well, the Yankees may have to start looking at that, possibly. That could be a possibility but right now. So the Yankees are now going to be depending on Justin Wilson out of the bullpen. You have Chapman to close. You have Chad Green. And you have Darren O'Day. So you have at least a solid core in the bullpen despite what happened to Britain. And that's why it was so important the Yankees got those extra arms when they did. Because it seems like every year an injury happens to this Yankees team. 
not even before the season starts. Spring training, two, three games in, up, oh, a guy gets injured. By the way, another Yankee is hurt. I just got word of it a couple hours ago. Luke Voigt is having an injury, soreness in his knee. Hmm. Hopefully it's nothing serious there. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, wait, 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 we get, we, so we're not done with all the injury talk. Nope. Let's move on to my team That's and my new around. big number two starter. That was this big steal of the Lindor trade that we had control over that we didn't need to go out and sign another pitcher because Stroman, you know, came back, accepted that option. So I thought, oh, great. We're going to be set. We got DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard. He's going to be coming back. We have Stroman there. He's ready to go. So at least our top three starters should be pretty set. And now Carlos Carrasco goes down. I, hopefully nothing serious, but he is experiencing elbow soreness. And that's never good. When you hear oh, elbow soreness, hear that's that. never good. I never like to hear elbow soreness from a pitcher, especially a starting pitcher, especially starting pitcher that I just traded my farm system to acquire. Carrasco's beaten a lot of odds in his life. He overcame cancer. He overcame COVID-19. He's getting vaccinated for the virus right now. He's already gotten the second shot. Could that be why he's getting the soreness? Could be partly. He's had body aches since he got the second shot. And that's kind of a common thing. You're going to have a little side effect here and there from the second shot. It's not uncommon. Okay. But he's had Tommy John surgery already. He had Tommy John surgery at one point in his career. Don't forget that. He had it about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now you worry about elbow soreness. You hope to good God this is not Tommy John again. I mean, it must stink to be Tommy John to, you know, forget, forget that he was one of the greatest pitchers of all time. To be known as a devastating career-ending injury. That's your name's legacy. <laughs> Uh, hold that point there that you where you just said greatest pitcher of all time. Yeah, he was two hundred eighty. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. Yeah, he had two hundred eighty-eight wins. That, that's true. He was a four-time All-Star. All that I mean, one of the greatest of all time. I think that's uh, pushing it a little bit. <laughs> just a wee. Well, bit. he would have uh, continued if he didn't have that elbow. He was on his way, and then all of a sudden. And that's his legacy for the rest of his life. Forget what he did on the baseball field. He will forever be known for an injury. That's got to sting. Can you imagine about the other pitchers that came before him when this surgery did not exist, that had to have their career cut short? Just look at people like Sandy Koufax. Rest of his life, arthritis in his arm. In his left arm, he, he had arthritis. That got in worked. order to pitch, he had to wear shirts soaked in capsaicin to a point where there was one story about Sandy Koufax, right? Mm -hmm. One of his teammates accidentally put on his undershirt by accident, you know, grabbed Sandy's instead of his own, right? Put it on. He was not unable to play that day and they had to say undisclosed injury because the guy's skin became so red that he tried to have, he had to go shower off the capsaicin. Mm -hmm. That's what Sandy Koufax had to do to his body in order to keep pitching. He pitched You want to talk about pitching through pain and pitching through injuries. That's the story of Sandy Koufax. Yep. 
it was, and I have a little, uh, actually, I just found a little picture right here. This is Sandy Koufax in April of 1964 in a whirlpool after a game where he had his arm literally soaking in there, possibly following game. And he, again, he pitched well over 300 innings a year. You see what that can, amazing how it did not do anything more to his arm over time. It did. Let's just end that whole thing right here, right now. Everybody wants to say, oh, all the old pitchers were tougher. They never got hurt like this. <laughs> yeah, they also didn't have MRIs and imaging equipment back then either a lot of the time. I mean, remember, uh, x-rays, MRIs, these things are like, you know, sort of past 50, 60, 70 year innovations. He basically, had to, put, longer than he basically that. had to put so much cortisone into his arm into just into just that elbow and it got to the point where yeah he had so many inflammatories and stuff in him he would get very dizzy over time just from just to make sure that his arm did not go out on him yeah there were days where he couldn't even move his arm because they didn't know what was wrong there was no structural damage that they could see or tell because understand medical science in 2021 is a lot different than it was in 1964 or 1970 hell it's different than it was in 1990 and 2000 i'm gonna read this so, piece. i'm gonna read this little piece here just to give you a, a further idea with mm -hmm. yeah he had to have a tailor shorten the left sleeve on all his coats that's one use of his left arm was severely limited when he wasn't pitching on bad days he'd have to bend his neck to get his face closer to his left hand so he could shave and on the worst days he had to shave with his right hand he still held his fork in his left hand, but sometimes he had to bend closer to the plate to get the food into his mouth. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. Not being able to even use your left hand. And imagine, things. imagine if Sandy Koufax could have gotten an MRI and gotten the surgery to fix it. How much longer he could have pitched. How much better he would have been. And this was in the late 60s. This is in the 1960s before Tommy John became an official surgery. Yep. So let, let's just say this straight away. It's not that the older generation was tougher or anything per se. It's that they thought they were able to play. They didn't know the extent of these injuries, the way they know them now. It's not, first off, it's not like these athletes even like were celebrities back then were super celebrities or super rich guys like Sandy Koufax or, Maybe they were super rich, but what about like, you know, the, the last guy warming the bench on the major league team? He had a regular job up until about 1980. 1974 was when Tommy John surgery officially happened. It was performed by Dr. Frank Job for Tommy John. That's what led to Tommy John surgery. It was an experimental procedure at the time. Let's be very fair with that experimental procedure. And it was no guarantee he was ever going to come back being the same pitcher he was but he did some pitchers have come back even better than ever from tommy john billy wagner <laughs> yeah yeah not saying everyone but many have yep that is the truth i mean matt hart matt harvey though that's a case where that's a case where it just didn't work out <laughs> Justin we don't know what north Syndergaard's gonna look like Justin that's Verlander. the other thing how's verlander gonna be coming back from it i would love to know the answer to that
I don't want to know how Carrasco is going to be coming back from it, though. That's why I'm concerned about this elbow soreness. So what is? But Luis Rojas said there was nothing to be concerned about. Says it's something he's had before. I still don't like hearing that. Well, I don't like hearing. Oh, that's just something he's had before. Yes, yes. He had had Tommy John back in 2011, 2012. Had it about 10 years ago. Yeah. So his elbow has been sore before. He's not even. He's 33 now. That's yeah, well, your part. You're having Tommy John at 33. Luis, 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 ready? His elbow has been sore before. You know, 10 years back when the Tommy John said, yeah, yeah, his elbow's been sore before. I'm I don't want to hear his elbow's been sore before. I'm worried because, about But his elbow was sore before. He missed two years of his career. I worry about the rest of the Met pitching staff because you don't want them to get Tommy John. Syndergaard's just coming back from Tommy John. He's, he's still not back yet. The, the the response that should shock and frighten every Met fan is the words in spring training being uttered. Oh, it's an issue he's had before. I'm sure it'll be fine. About an elbow. Didn't we learn this lesson from Generation K before us? Didn't we learn this lesson before with the elbows and, oh, that's just arm soreness. He'll be fine. Well, I can tell you this. What happens now for the Mets and the Yankees, for Carrasco, for Britain, proceed with caution here. And let this be a warning to other pitchers. Don't overdo it on your arm, even if it's in spring training. Do not overdo it on your arm. Don't throw with everything you have in March when you need to have all that extra effort come postseason time or come late in the year that's when you need your a stuff yep and uh you know specifically for carrasco i when we have wayne randazzo on more towards opening day he told us uh he'll be coming on with us more towards opening day so around opening day we'll hear an I'd say give or take wayne a few randazzo. more weeks a couple more weeks i'd say give or take he'll be coming on the show more towards opening day i hope he's going to be telling me that carrasco is the number two starter and not that carrasco is uh out for the year with tommy john yeah because i'm hearing conflicting reports he might miss what, what are the conflicting start. reports some reports say he will not he will miss his opening day start so he could be out to start the year oh, that great. is not good Again, no. it's mixed uh, i'm hearing different things running around carrasco's sorable not too concerning as i said from Rojas, but then you hear stuff. Mm, then the New York Post believes five hours ago, Carrasco could be in danger of missing the start of the season. Uh-huh. Right and now, we- he's out. He's not throwing for a few days. So the hope oh. is, will he be okay after that three days or two days, whatever it is, until they decide he's ready to come back? It, it always happens like this with the Mets, and this has been an organizational thing. And do you know what? Until Cohen owns the organization long enough to get his philosophy through it, we're still going to be dealing with like the old pains of the Wilpon years. Um, the way the Wilpons did business was tell everybody everything's going to be okay really, really quickly. And then you'll never see the player again. Like um, hmm, guys like Jason Bay and uh, Jay Bruce and, oh no, they're fine. They'll be out for like one or two weeks. Meanwhile, they were gone for like an entire year. and We have no idea where they are. Um, who was the other one? Who was that first base? Yeah, the Mets signed a first baseman and was towards the end of his career. A brave Bobby Abreu. That's Bobby right. Brave. We only saw him play like four games and then he got hurt and then he came back and played four more and then he was traded. Incredible. Jay Bruce did that too. Oh, yeah. By the way, really interesting story on the Yankees. Jay Bruce might make your opening roster. 
and it could very likely happen. I think Jay Bruce is one of those quiet additions that could be out to prove something to people that he still hasn't. Do you know what that is? That's your backup for Aaron Judge when, if or when he gets hurt. That's your backup DH for Gary Sanchez if or when he starts to falter. Well, definitely a lot of players looking to bounce back. Gary Sanchez so far having a good spring. Edwin Diaz having a good spring. And we will see as we get closer to the baseball season. Gary having a good spring, guys. Gary's having a good spring. And with that, we're going to wrap this sucker up. Beast, where can they hear us? We're on 12 different platforms. We're on Anchor. Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Castbox, Bullhorn, Podbay, and Listen Notes. 12 different platforms, rants, episodes, digital market battles every Tuesday, Wednesday. Want to thank Keith Smith, our NBA insider, for joining us to start the show. Want to thank Chris DeLarge and Tony Mainville, our researcher for our NBA Top 10. We will be back with the second half of the NBA season beginning tonight. And we'll be deeper into it next week. We'll tell you what teams could be making a run. March Madness is only a week away. Basically, for me, it's a draft pick scouting day. That's what March Madness is for me. I'm, I'm not the hugest college basketball fan other than, well, the Brooklyn College Bulldogs go Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, if they play again. Uh, they're not going to be playing. Not D3 this year. Next year. Next year. Next year, we hope. Next year, we hope. All right. On that note, my co-host, Mouth of the South, John Shivoni. I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, saying goodbye. Yeah, thanks for listening.